This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. God has given man a free will. He created us free moral agents. You had a choice to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and personal Savior, did you not? Did he, was he forced on you? Did he force you to worship him? No. And here's the key. With that free will, when you accept Jesus Christ, does that negate your free will? Does that take away your free will? As to say, wait a minute, I got you trapped. You have a contract with me. You're mine. You've probably heard the phrase, once saved, always saved, in regards to your belief in Jesus. Pastor Eddie shares today that absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God and that our salvation is secure. However, it doesn't mean that we no longer have the choice to believe and follow. Being in a relationship means that we carry on relating to one another. If you cut God out altogether, that choice affects the relationship. Well, Let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 4 as he begins his message, Warning Against False Teachers. First Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Paul writes this, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wise fable, and exercise yourself towards godliness. For bodily exercise profit a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. These things command and teach. In our last study, we looked at the requirements for a deacon. Uh, in chapter 3, verses 8 through 16, Paul gave us 10 requirements. The bishop or the pastor had 16 requirements. Here are 10 requirements. And I, again, we always say that though is expected from leaders, these qualities, requirements are expected from leaders. It also applies to each and every one of us. But if one is to govern and to be a leader in the house, they are to have these qualifications in order to be a deacon in the house of God. And we saw that the deacon involves his spiritual life. In verses 
8 through 9, it says he's to be reverent, not, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. It also has to deal with the home. In verses 11 and 12, uh, it deals with the wife, the wife herself, the wife of a deacon. She must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. And in verse 12, he said, let deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. And finally, we looked at the verse, which is the key verse for the epistle of 1 Timothy. This is the verse that really uh, gives us the meaning and the purpose as to why Paul wrote to young Timothy, uh, pastoring the church dead in Ephesus. He writes this in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. He said, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. So now that brings us to 1 Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. The Apostle Paul is still dealing with leaders. In this case, we're going to see he's going to deal with a good leader and a bad leader. Timothy, again, is a pastoral epistle. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. These are letters that Paul had wrote to leaders, four leaders. And so drop down to verse 6 with me for a minute. Verse 6. He writes this, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister, a good minister of Jesus Christ. Now, the word minister in the Greek is diakonos. Diakonos, it is the same definition, definition of a deacon. And what is the definition of a minister or a deacon? Is to be a waiter. One who serves food and drinks and serves the king. Obviously, ministers today have it backwards. They are the ones that want to be served instead of them serving others. Uh, but that's not what a deacon is. That's not what any minister is. As a matter of fact, Jesus set the perfect example. Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and live life for others. So after the apostle gave us the qualification of an overseer, a bishop, a pastor, and a deacon, he now is going to point out the difference between good leaders and bad leaders. So for those of you who are taking notes, in verses 1 through 5, verses 1 through 5, Paul would deal with the apostasy of false teachers. The apostasy of false teachers. That's verses 1 through 5. In verses 6 through 11, Paul deals with the good minister of Jesus Christ. A good minister in Jesus Christ. So that's in verses 6 through 11. Well, we read our text. Let us now study our text verse by verse. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Paul writes this. Now, the Spirit expressly says. So, right off the bat, we see that Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, we know in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that the Word of God is inspired by God. And you have the world that would say, well, yes, written by men, but it was inspired by God. There is no way you're going to have over 40 different authors, 66 books, in a span of 1,500 years, written by kings, shepherds, and all kinds of people to be consistent in the Word of God. And those of you who study the Word of God, I know, just like me, I am still blown away to find out that this book is living, and it's powerful. And so he's saying that it is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit says, expressly says this, that in latter times, in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Paul 
points out to a specific time frame here, a specific time frame, and you see it. It went when there will be a departing of the faith, and we're going to talk a little bit on that. But first, let's look at the that phrase that is often often mentioned is called latter times. Latter times. The word latter times is only mentioned here in First Timothy chapter four, verse one. Latter times is only mentioned once here in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. It's synonymous with the other phrases you probably heard last days. You probably heard last days. That's written in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. So, what time frame is the last days? If you've been with us as we study 1 Thessalonians, you've been with us, we've talked about end time, we study Revelation, the book of Revelation, you find that the last days are a time that took place 2,000 years ago. And it's always misunderstood. And quite often we use the term last days so loosely and we apply it to eschatology incorrectly. The last days began at the birth of the church almost 2,000 years ago. That is the last day. We're not talking about the day of the Lord. That's different. That's judgment. That is the great tribulation. But the phrase latter times, last days, it began at the day of Pentecost almost 2,000 years ago when the church was birthed and it's still today, and it will continue until Christ comes to his church. That is reference to the last day. Quite often, you know, we, we identify the last days as the time we're living in or sometime in the future. That is not the case when it comes to this phrase as far as the scripture is concerned. When Paul says in latter times, in last days, he's referring to a time at the, the birth of the church. And it's important because he's dealing with the church. This letter is for the church. And so the church are living in last days, and it began 2,000 years ago. You remember when the church was birthed out, when when Jesus told the disciples, go to Jerusalem and stay there, stay there until the promise of the Holy Spirit will be upon you. When we accept Christ, well, before we accept Christ, the Holy Spirit comes upon us, uh, you know, alongside of us, bringing conviction to our heart, saying, hey, you need Jesus. You're not going to go to heaven without him. And that's, it comes alongside, when you accept Christ, he comes in us. And then the day of Pentecost, he came upon the church. The church was birthed. And therefore, there where the ministry began to grow and flourish. You remember after the Holy Spirit came down and they were talking in tongues. They were speaking in tongues in different languages. And people came in from all over to, to celebrate the Passover, I mean, the day of Pentecost, the feast. And so what happened, Peter came out and began to speak. And, but Peter quoted something from the prophet Joel, and it's found, uh, well, let's look in Acts chapter 2. He's going to quote Joel chapter 2, but in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, he, he says, he speaks this, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that he will pour out, he said, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Obviously, I'm at that point when I'm having a lot of dreams because I'm old. But here's the thing. He said the last days, the last day began. He's telling everybody in the church, hey, the church is birthed out. The Holy Spirit came upon the church. And this was fulfilled. This is the last days that the prophet Joel was talking about, the Lord was talking about. He will pour out his spirit because Christ already risen. So the Holy Spirit came upon the church and praise God. 2,000 years ago, here we are, Calvary Chapel of Milford, and the Holy Spirit is still with us. The Holy Spirit is still with us. So that is the last days. And so the biblical phrase, latter times, speaks about the time when the church was birthed until Christ comes. 
okay? Now, what would happen in the latter times? What would happen in the latter times from the day of Pentecost until the time Christ comes? Well, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from faith. Some will depart from faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Again, we see that in the book of Acts. We see it in Paul's day, and we see it today, and it will continue until the day of when the Lord comes for the church. Now notice what has happened and continues to have happened as far as depart. The definite article precedes the word faith. The definite article precedes the word faith, meaning the faith, not a faith. It's talking about the faith. And so it points to and it speaks of the faith that we have in Jesus Christ through salvation. And to depart from something means you are a part of something. Am I right? If you're a part of something, if you depart from something, that means you were a part of something. And just in case, because we're going to get to that, I'm going to talk a little bit. It raised the topic of eternal security. I'm going to give you two sides to that. But let's look at this word just to make sure that this word depart is what it's saying here. It's saying depart of the faith. Depart. The Greek word is aphestame. Aphestame, meaning to withdraw, to remove, to abandon. So some will withdraw from the faith. Some would abandon the faith. And so we have that doctrine, eternal security. And there are scholars on both sides of the issue, good scholars, by the way. And so what is it, Pastor Reddy? Am I eternally secure? Yes. Can I walk away from my salvation? Yes. You can't lose it, but you can walk away. Let me explain. Let me give you some passages. So Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 28, he says, And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone, anyone, snatch them out of my hand. The anyone is outside. Paul writes to Rome, to the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. He said, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height nor death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is Christ Jesus our Lord. Right? Nothing can separate us. No demons. Satan himself can't separate us. People can't separate us. Powers, height or death, right? So, you know, there is this phrase, once saved, always saved. Personally, I don't like that, because what do you mean by once saved, always saved? What do you mean by you once saved? Define that for me, <laughs> because that can mean a lot of things, okay? And so that's, what, that's the security we have. And when we look at the passages carefully, at least the last two that I gave, there are many more, but time would not allow me to do an in-depth study on this. But I just want to point out some of the key issues. When you look at those last two verses I gave you, the, what can take away, what can separate you from God, and, and it's pointed to things on the outside. Jesus says, and no one. He says, neither shall anyone, people from the outside, shall separate you from my hand. No one can do that. Paul listed things, 10 things, nor death, nor life, principalities, nothing. And so no one, no man in the spiritual realm can, t- can separate you from the love of Christ. No one can separate you, you from God so as, you could, as to lose your salvation. And we see that. It's obvious. You're a perfect example. You believe in Jesus Christ now. I'm pretty sure for those of you who have been in the Lord for some time, you have been challenged. Your faith has been challenged. You had people attacking you. You had people from work, family. And has that moved you? No. The church throughout history have been martyred since the, since the birth of the church. 
even to this day, Christians are being killed for their faith. Did even death separate them from God? No, it's a promotion. Praise the Lord, right? You're going to kill me. You're only promoting me. Go ahead. To live as Christ, to die as gain. I go to heaven early. Great. Praise the Lord. So no one can separate you from Christ. And as believers, we see that personally again. And even if we fail, if we fail, we fall and we sin and we always fall short and we always mess up, we always blow up. And but that still doesn't separate you from the love of God. You're still secure. How about backsliders? Well, you know, if, for those of you who don't know that term, that term is, that term is used in, in, in the Christian circles. Is a term used to describe a Christian who, who is regressing rather than progressing in their relationship with Jesus Christ. How many have been there? I've been there. When I stopped going to church, I didn't read my Bible, and my life reflected that. But one who backslide, the good thing is they could slide back to Christ. They didn't lose their salvation. We mess up all the time. And boy, do we mess up. But he is faithful. He is faithful to forgive us. And I love this. This is the Christian bar soap. First John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful to forgive us. And just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from some all our righteousness. That's great. That's beautiful. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. However, as with any relationship, as with any relationship, and you know, we, some of us, when we're married, we say, I do. To sickness, to health, nothing. No, 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 no. I'm never going to leave her. She says, I'm never going to leave him. Is that always the case? No. We, our minds change. Our hearts get hardened. Because we don't allow God to work in life. And that's the reason why you know, marriage is sacred between a man and a woman. And, and it, because it's a picture of Christ and the church. And so you see, God created us with a free will. Here's where it is. God has given man a free will. He created us free moral agents. You had a choice to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and personal Savior. Did you not? Did he, was he forced on you? Did he force you to worship him? No. And here's the key. With that free will, when you accept Jesus Christ... Does that negate your free will? Does that take away your free will? As to say, wait a minute, I got you trapped. You have a contract with me. You're mine. Well, here's the thing. And I've seen, and, and God, you know, it, it's sad. I literally know two people. One woman gave her life to the Lord. And it was evidence that, that she was serving the Lord, worshiping God. She was part of the worship team. She was in tears. She did things that were just so Christian-like. Later on, I find out in life, some years have passed, we finally caught up, and she tells me, I don't believe Jesus Christ is the Lord. Can that happen? And if that can happen, is she still a Christian? It's based on belief. It's based on belief. That's what holds us, it's belief. Now, you may say, well, no, no, she's still a Christian, really. So if she says, Jesus, I don't want you anymore, Jesus is going to say, I'm sorry, you're with me. I'm sorry, you're with me. Is that the case? If God didn't force you to accept me, he's not going to force you to stay with him. It's the same way in the marriage. Now, God, Christ would do anything. He would never leave you nor forsake you. He would never leave you nor forsake you. He would do everything he can in his power to keep you, to minister to you, and, and to put you know, roadblocks in your life so that you would not turn away. For example, 
Romans chapter 11, verses 19 to 21, gives us a perfect picture of how us Christians being grafted in, right? The, Israel is the olive tree, and the Gentiles who've been grafted in, we're the wild olive tree, and how you can graft a little branch in the tree. That's what happened. The Old Testament, salvation is of the Jews. Jesus is a Jew, so that was the plan from the very beginning, but all nations, Gentiles, will be grafted in. You remember that in, in Romans chapter 11? Look at, I'm going to give you this passage just for, you know, for time's sake. In Romans chapter 11, verses 19 20, this is what Paul writes. You say then, brethren, speaking to the Gentiles being grafted in, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. So those that didn't believe, the Jews, and he said, well said, because of what? Unbelief, because of unbelief. They were broken off, and you stand by in faith. But this is what he says. Don't be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. It's belief. It's belief. I one time spoke to a man who knows the Bible, been a minister for many years. I said, well, I got a perfect example. What if one sex the Lord Jesus Christ? And people say, oh, well, he probably wasn't converted. Well, how do you know that? You got a Bible verse for that? But here's the thing. He said, I said, well, here's an example. Um, that's my view. And there's scholars on both sides. But here's the thing. I think it's a dangerous thing to say that once saved, always saved, especially someone who just gave their life to the Lord. Or just pass gold, collect $200. You know? Oh, yeah, don't worry about it. You're saved. Okay, here's the seal. Okay, you can live your life, do whatever you want, you know, and just you know, all the warnings we have in the Bible. You know how many warnings are in the Bible? Why are there warnings? Why are there warnings? It's not only for the, the enemy, but it's warning for you too not to be deceived. Stay the course, right? led us to the seven churches. He overcomes. He overcomes seven times to every church. He overcomes. So if you don't overcome, you still get the reward. Think about it. Think about that. But here, Jesus also said this in John chapter 15, verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Jesus also said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, 23, remember this? You know this one. For not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? This person has a better resume than me. And he says in verse 23, and then I would declare to him, I never knew you. Depart from me you who practice lawlessness. Again, some would say, well, they probably would never save. How do you know that? We can't even tell. I bet you that person, if that person was around here, okay, he prophesied in the name of Jesus, he healed in the name of the Okadis, all these wonders that only you can say, it only comes from God. I'm pretty sure we will say, hey, wait a minute, that guy is, he's saved. He's anointed. But Jesus is going to say to some of those, I never knew you. You see how we might misjudge someone who is a Christian? We might misjudge someone who was saying that he's not a Christian. So God deals with us differently. I know people who surrender their lives to Jesus Christ and their life changed like this. I know some people, it's just gradually, it took a while. And they are fire for Jesus. The book of 1 Timothy is encouraging and inspiring. From one well-seasoned missionary to another, the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, spurring a younger pastor on to great things. 
Isn't it great to live life in community with others so that you can mutually encourage others you're walking alongside? Even though Paul and Timothy weren't in the same area very often, these letters kept them united in the cause of Christ. We hope that you have this type of uniting with other believers. If you don't, we'd like you to know how to connect with us here. Go to our website at runningtheraceradio.com to learn more about the church that supports this ministry. At Calvary Chapel of Milford, we'd love to meet you this weekend and join with you in being part of a church family. Worshiping God and studying His Word together is something that should be done in community. To find out more, once again, our website is runningtheraceradio.com. We pray that Pastor Eddie's message on running the race has been helpful for you today. We'd like you to know that we pray for you regularly here at Running the Race, and we're so glad you're one of our listeners. If you'd like to hear this message again, you can find it at runningtheraceradio.com. While you're there, feel free to listen to other messages from this series or download them to take with you on the go. Again, that website is runningtheraceradio.com. That's all we have for today. But join us again for more as Pastor Eddie teaches from 1 Timothy on running the race.